Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to a very special bonus episode of Monoreal Radio. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are here to discuss Loki Season 1. There are a couple of reasons why we are only getting to this now. The first being, we did a rewatch because we were in a Loki mood after having rewatched these Thor films. So we wanted to give it a second chance, which is part two of why it took us so long. <laughs> Admittedly, upon first viewing, we really did not like this series at all. Let me ask you, because yeah. I feel like we had kind of had this conversation as we were doing our first watch. What was it about this that you didn't like? If we can try and pinpoint this, maybe we'll see if if that was the different feel this time around. The first time around, there were two things that stuck out to me. And uh, I don't want to spoil any of my reviews here, but there's no way of answering this question, <clears throat> excuse me, without spoiling a little bit of it. The first being, I found it to be very convoluted and very boring. The second was that... I didn't mind the Loki variants. I thought that they were fun. I thought that they were funny. But what I really kind of was uncomfortable with was Loki falling in love with Sylvie because Loki is falling in love with and kissing himself. And I found the entire thing to be kind of awkward and off-putting. Agreed. That was part of it for me. Uh, but the biggest thing was all of this Loki soul searching. Yeah. For me, he worked better as a plot point in Thor than as his own main character. That was my biggest issue the first time. Uh, but I sort of was able to navigate through that a little bit better this time around. Right. Well, let's see now upon second viewing how we feel about Loki season one and whether we want to see a Loki season number two. Well, we're getting one. I know we are, <laughs> but do we want it? That on top of many other things is what we are going to discuss today, starting with episode number one. Glorious purpose. New York City, 2012. Loki has stolen the Tesseract uh, in the Gobi Desert in Mongolia uh, he lands after he takes it and disappears. He is then intercepted by the TVA, the Time Variant Authority for Crimes Against the Timeline. They reset the timeline and take the Tesseract. Loki learns that he changed the world's timeline and the multiverse is now out of order. And he is considered a variant who has caused a nexus effect. You can see why we were very confused the first time we watched this. In France in the 1500s, because it's not confusing enough, Agent Mobius is investigating an attack in a church when he learns that Loki was apprehended. Loki tells the court that the Avengers are, are, are time criminals and not him, but he was told his escape was not supposed to happen as per the timekeepers, and he is sentenced to be reset. Mobius takes Loki as he knows what he is capable of and tells him that time moves differently in the TVA. Loki tells Mobius it is his destiny to take the throne of the Nine Realms, so Mobius drills him about what he will do next while he explains how the timeline works. 
But Loki believes his will and independence is what drives him rather than a predetermined fate, but Mobius shows him that this is not the case. Loki escapes Mobius and sees that in the lockup there are multiple Infinity Stones that no one takes seriously. Loki then sees Odin's death as well as Frigga's and his own at the hands of Thanos. He admits to Mobius that he does not enjoy hurting people, but he does it because he has to. Mobius tells Loki that his variant is killing TVA Minutemen and that they need him to help stop the killings. That is a very loaded, very confusing episode one. I don't care how many times you watch it. Right, but it it is a good hook. I will give it that. It intrigued me from the jump and then on our first watch it just kind of all went downhill from there um I like that we get that little recap of him getting the Tesseract because obviously that is not what happened the first time in Avengers he goes back in handcuffs to Asgard with Thor right so they are rehashing what happens in Endgame uh after the Hulk went running through and knocked the suitcase no stairs Exactly. Um, From there, though, I feel like the last place I would have expected him to end up was the desert. And there's no real rhyme or reason as to why he ends up there of all places. Like, it's never explained that, like, that's where he takes himself because it's one of the furthest points from the Avengers. Right. And that he's just like, he seems like he just kind of ends up there by accident. We don't really know why. I almost feel like it was to force the plot of the TVA finding him, but just based on Loki's character, you would think that his first order of business is to finish what he started. I thought we were going to start like running rampant on the streets of New York. Yeah, that's what I thought as well, but instead we end up in this Marvel meets Men in Black setting. Which I actually very like. I love the set of the TVA. I always have. I do too. I love the design. I love that they made it feel, well, pardon pun, timeless. uh, Because you do get like a mid-century mod sort of design, but the tech is so advanced. Um, It is almost like it sort of feels like WandaVision in a way that you're jumping through those decades, but you're doing it all at once because... Time doesn't really, it exists here, but it doesn't. I like that too. I like that it the time moves at 1 16th the speed of our time, and that's what keeps the TVA on top of everything. I thought that that was smart. I thought that it also, it worked to explain why they were able to stay on top of him so much. Yes. Um, I love the Miss Minutes video. Oh my God, the film? I, that's, I have that as a big note. I love that whole thing. Yeah, I I love that it sort of feels like just Miss Minutes design feels like when you um the the let's all go to the movies yes. the dancing popcorn and yeah. stuff yeah yeah so I thought that that was really cool it definitely fits like that fifties sixties aesthetic that they were going for uh I like that we do get the explanation up front because. As soon as they get him out of the desert, it's like, okay, what is happening here? Uh, So I like that they didn't waste any time with that. But even though she lays the groundwork, I still feel like it does get 
very convoluted. I also remember feeling anxious on the first and second viewing at this point because it's so odd that Loki is not in control. Like even when Thor has him in cuffs uh, or he's locked in a cell in Asgard, you still get the impression that no matter what, he's going to have the upper hand. And it's it's a good shift tonally, but it's weird being in his POV when we have no clue what's going on. It is strange being in his POV when we have no clue because we're kind of like going through this entire thing with him. But I like his story. I think it's very compelling. The story that he tells when he's on trial here and he tries to explain to the TVA that it's the Avengers that went back yes, in Endgame to get the Tesseract and they are what set off this domino effect that put the Tesseract back in his hands that put him in the desert to begin with. It's a really compelling story. It is. And that's really got to grind his gears because they tell him as much. Well, no, the Avengers were supposed to do all of that. That was on the sacred timeline. You were not supposed to do this. So that's got to be so frustrating. And I wish that he would have lashed out a little bit more to have that reaction of, well, Thor gets away with it again and I get punished. Right. Um, And then from there, we get introduced to Mobius, played by Owen Wilson. Um And I like the introduction to Mobius in that church with that child. It's interesting seeing in the 1500s, he's communicating with the child and he obviously has this very advanced technology. But the only thing that's kind of strange about it is that this kid is not taken aback by any of it. Like he's wearing, I mean, he's basically wearing like shreds of clothes, right? He's not even wearing like a fully like tailored outfit. He's basically just wearing shards of whatever it is he could get his hands on and here comes Mobius with like a touch screen and the kid's eating candy and he thinks nothing of it right and then he gives him the touch screen to play with right but I like Mobius I think that what it does is it shows not only his intelligence but also his softer side and it kind of rocks you in a cradle of trust because that's the thing right like you want to root for Loki Because we're watching this for him. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, you know that he is a villain. So you need somebody to root for that is a protagonist, not an antagonist. That's a really good point, especially because they do try and flip it several times throughout the series, whether you can trust Mobius or not. And I think because you do have this scene in the very beginning, there is an anchor to know that he will always be on, on the right side of it. Right. What I don't like, though, is that Loki is so argumentative with Mobius. I I understand that, like, we trust him because we have this scene, but Loki doesn't trust him yet. Um, And I just think it's weird that instead of, you know, Loki is so persuasive and he loves to hear himself talk. He has a glorious purpose. I love that they open the episode with that as well. Um. And any time that he's trying to convince people of anything, he goes back to the, I am burdened with glorious purpose. I'm glad we didn't lose that thread. Um, But I just feel like he would be trying to level with Mobius more and not be so combative. I don't think so at all. I think that this is a man that 
an hour earlier tried to take the Tesseract a second time after unleashing chaos in Manhattan. He doesn't know what's going on right now. To your point, he's always been in control. He's always had the upper hand. He's always been two steps ahead. And he's so self-righteous. Because remember something. This is not the Loki that we have seen get fleshed out and get killed in Endgame. We are hitting the rewind button. Right. Which I think for... I think for a lot of people was off-putting, but they forget that you're not seeing a fully fleshed-out Loki. You are seeing a very bare-bones Loki. Right, because this is the Loki coming off the heels of killing Colston. Yes. We haven't had that full arc. We haven't had... We don't know that Thor believes in him yet and and that they could have always had the relationship that Loki truly wanted. You know, both of their parents are still here. It It's not that full arc. Um, I love that, by the way, that you do get that human nature in Loki, because the first thing that he does when he gets the chance to watch his tape is see the death of his parents. And then naturally, you know, he goes to his own. But I thought that was so interesting that his first fear and I, I said that all throughout Thor is that Loki never actually wanted to hurt his parents or any harm to come to his family. And that's just reinforced with this idea of the first thing he does is check on his parents. Yeah, um, and that's one of the first times that you see a softened Loki, that you start to see a shift in Loki. Um, and it carries out as you watch him have that conversation with Mobius. The conversation between the two of them is so beautifully awkward, and you can cut the tension with a knife. And it's a total compliment to both Owen Wilson and Tom Hiddleston. Agreed. Um, but... It is interesting how you see it start to play out. You see that plane heist that was basically a joke between him and Thor. So they do a good job here of showing that at the root of it, like at one point, he and Thor and Heimdall, because Heimdall was in on that gag too, like they were tight and they would play practical jokes and they would dare each other. So I like that they kind of weave that in because that, while not a fully fleshed out Loki it's a little bit more consistent with the Loki that we've seen more frequently now that we've moved through the MCU. Right. Um, and I think the world build is really great as well. Um, I think that, though, as I sit here, because I don't have much else to, to talk about in this first episode other than it's still confusing. It makes more sense the second time around. If I knew then what I know now, I wish I would have watched The Dark World again before we watched this because I think in rewatching Thor The Dark World, that also sheds a lot of light on exactly what is going on here because although the two of them are not at all related, it gives more context to Loki and kind of the idea of this multiverse. Yeah, it's interesting how the dark world got so panned when it initially came out, but it does give so much more context, uh, particularly with Loki, even more so than Thor. But yeah, after this first episode, like I said, I, I was pretty much hooked from the first time as convoluted as it was. Uh, but on the rewatch, this is where my tune really started to change as far as not liking such a soul searching Loki. Um, because admittedly, I wasn't thinking in terms of, well, this is before he's had the full arc. This is before he's lost his parents. Uh, 
and really after having you know watched dark world and seeing how friga's death affected him um taking all of that out of the picture and looking at the character where he was after avengers i do think the soul searching thing worked and that probably did lend to his decisions in dark world and following through helping thor uh and really backing him up in Ragnarok. Right. Uh, are we ready to move on to episode two? The Variant. Oshkosh, Wisconsin, 1985. TVA officers are killed when the Variant begins possessing them, turning them on each other. At the TVA, Loki, now working with Mobius, investigates the slaughter and advises that the Variant is looking to trap the TVA um, and that he can stop him, so he asks to speak to the Timekeepers, but Mobius doesn't believe him, and the two bicker. While reading files, Loki sees that Asgard ends up being destroyed, but the Variant is not found. So he realizes that the Variant is hiding in Apocalypse's because it can do whatever it wants, because the apocalypse will end it all anyway, and the timeline won't breach. They go to Pompeii, where Loki tells the people of their impending doom, and Mobius sees that his theory is right, as no variant energy is found, and the timeline does not branch. As they flip through doomsdays, they land on an event in Alabama in 2050 where a hurricane wipes out a town. A task force heads to the event to intercept the variant who, through possession, comes face to face with Loki. The variant then exposes herself to be Lady Loki, and she obtains the timeline reset devices, um... And as she does that, the timeline begins to branch and shift like crazy. And so Loki follows her through a portal. This is a very brutal open with the slaughter in Oshkosh. It really is. But at the same time, it's juxtaposed against I Need a Hero. So it kind of makes it funny. Well, it's funny to me because all I can think of is the internet recutting that last scene of Star Wars with kylo running to save ray right <laughs> i need a hero and the the lightsaber comes out like just in the nick of time it's hysterical if you haven't seen it go find it i love the internet uh but anyway i wish we had more cultural touchstones like this song because they are going through the time they you know obviously they're jumping through decades i kind of wish that they had pulled a few more pop culture references like the jd cooper thing was great I like that they did that. I like that later on they peppered in uh, the USS Eldridge. So they did have some fun, but I wish there were a couple of more of those, you know, just relatable things that everybody sort of gravitates to. I love the setting of this Ren Fair. I love how you have kind of to harken back to um, the original Thor film, this very Shakespearean sort of dialect and speak, although it is a total farce here because it's at a Ren Fair, but I love that it harkens back to that and you get this really corny 80s Ren Fair juxtaposed against this brutal slaughter. Yeah. It's really well done. What I don't like here is this Mobius turn. It kind of seems like it came out of nowhere. Mobius wants to listen to Loki, he wants to talk to Loki, 
He wants to believe Loki. He wants to utilize Loki in the first episode. Well, seemingly, minutes later, after he's already convinced the TVA to use Loki to their benefit, he now doesn't believe him and doesn't trust him anymore. Right. Why? It's a completely unmotivated turn. I didn't know what to make of it, and I still don't. Um, I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. I just don't have an awful lot to say about this episode. Like, it was a fine episode. What I like about it most is that when Mobius eventually does start to come around and he asks Loki, why should I trust you? Loki gives the most Loki answer of all time. He's like, because I love to be right. I I love that writing. I love the screenwriting. And I think that it's smart that they had the variant hiding in doomsdays because no matter what happens, that world, that setting is going to come to an end. I thought that was very smart. And if I'm being honest, I kind of feel like that's sort of what saves this episode for me. Agreed, especially because, and this is probably something that I'm going to say a lot, there is a lot of exposition through dialogue in every single episode. So here, you know, it's funny because Loki is ruining Mobius' salad or whatever, but it's a very long-winded explanation of how Loki arrived at this conclusion. Although it does pay off because I think, I, I agree with you, hiding in the apocalypse is brilliant. Um, it makes sense. It covers the variance tracks. It all works. Um and I love that they go to Pompeii, as brutal as it is to actually see that play out. I wish they had done more things like this. And that was something where my mind had sort of changed between the first and second viewing. Because, it, you know, like I said, even with the song, I was like, why don't they do more things that are familiar to us, things that we know? But you sort of forget that because... You know, the first time we were watching this, we weren't so fully immersed in Thor the way that we have been because we were prepping for Love and Thunder. Uh, but now that we've rewatched these movies so recently, I was like, well, Loki's a part of nine realms and they're also traveling through time. So some of the apocalypses they, they've not experienced yet because right. they haven't happened. Um, so I was only thinking of this in terms of why didn't you go to all of these disasters on earth? But it does make more sense that they pulled from other planets, pulled from the future. Uh, so that was actually really smart, but you know, starting that off with something that is so familiar, like that cut pretty deep. Yeah, for sure. Are we ready to move on to episode number three? Lamentous. All right. At a bar, Lady Loki tries to speak to her quote unquote friend about where the timekeepers are but this ends up being a mind trick. Loki appears from the portal and pursues her through the TVA. They're eventually sent to Lamentis 1 in 2077, which is another doomsday. She tells him that she now goes by Sylvie, not Lady Loki, and she doesn't consider herself to be a variant and doesn't want to be spoken to as such, um, and that he interrupted her plan that was years in the making. As they sneak aboard a train to escape this apocalypse, we learn that Sylvie self-taught herself her magic. 
after they are made by the authorities, they fight and eventually flee. With their tempad destroyed, they plan to hijack an ark to escape this doomsday. Silby then tells us that everyone who works for the TVA is a variant of someone on Earth. As Lamentis starts to be destroyed, so is the ark that they planned to escape on, and at least for now they are trapped. Um, so, it... I, I like the open of this film, or the open of this episode, I should say. I like this mind trick with Sylvie in a bar, because what I couldn't figure out, and admittedly I had forgotten about, and, and was trying to figure out, even on the second watch, was whether this was a mind trick, or whether you were seeing a flashback of two real people who are now variants that are fighting each other at the TVA, like if this is some like subconscious memory. Almost like an avatar in in yes. a way. Uh, yeah, this was something that completely lost me the first time around. This is where I started, you know, almost... I, I don't want to say I started to give up, but I was kind of over it by this point because it was so confusing. But I definitely appreciated it more on the second watch. My biggest issue with not only this episode, but sort of the series, um, and I don't mean any disrespect to Sophia Martino who plays Sylvie. I wish they had cast someone who looked more like Tom Hiddleston. Because to me, if it's a variant, Later, when we meet the rest of them, with the exception of the alligator, there's all you, you sort of see the resemblance between the Lokis. So I wish that not only had they cast someone who looked a little bit more like him, um, I wish that the name was a little bit closer, like maybe like Lori instead of Sylvie. And again, this is somebody who does not read the comics, so I, I don't know. Maybe they are just going based on source material here. Uh, but to me, if it's a variant, she should resemble him more. And Chris Evans did a better job of getting his mannerisms for nine seconds in Dark World than Sylvie did in this whole ser series. And maybe that was the point. Maybe she, because as you said, she is her own character. You know, she. I'm not going by Lady Loki. I'm going by Sylvie. I'm, I'm not a variant. And she is trying to be her own person. Maybe that was the intent, but I would have liked to see that play out more. I would have liked to see her similarities to Loki. And then the further they go on this journey, the more she tries to separate herself from him. I think it would have fleshed the character out better. Yeah, I mean, Sophia DiMartino, it's nothing against her, but I kind of felt that she played this character a little flat. Um, and I, I felt that she was kind of flat this entire time um, because I think what you love so much about Loki is that he is so self-righteous and he is three steps ahead and he's totally self-aware but he can think on the fly he can plan on the fly this var and now it's a variant right so it's not the exact replica but it, it doesn't seem like she's much of a variant because she has a plan in place much like Loki does but it seems like as soon as you start to deviate from the plan, she doesn't know what to do. She can't think on the fly. Um, and I think, to your point, 
when you have somebody that's a variant of Loki, while they don't need to be a mirror image, they just need to be a little bit more like that character for us to believe that they are a multiversal version of that character. Right. And we have the best example of that in Spider-Man. I mean, granted, they they retconned No Way Home because we had three different actors playing Spider-Man. And then once Disney bought Marvel, right. you know, they wanted to sort of address that and and figure a way to move forward with a Spider-Man now. Um, so I think that that's the perfect example of how you do it the right way. And even Doctor Strange, I think they did a fantastic job. Now, granted, we weren't quite in the multiverse yet. Uh, that is what Loki, the entire series, was leading to. I think that's also why you get a lot of that heavy dialogue exposition. Right. Um, but I feel like here, she's too much of her own character. To your point, I agree, she is flat. Even if they had just peppered in some of Loki's wit, I would buy it more, especially once they get to the train where they really are trying to get to know each other a little bit. This scene feels like an awkward first date and it shouldn't. I have the same exact thing written down. This is your variant. It should feel more like old friends catching up, like somebody you knew in high school and you haven't seen him for 10 years and you pick it up where you left off because you are that person. I don't care for the two of them together. Um, And there's just, for me, there's no nice way to say it. This is by far the weakest episode of the series because it's just so boring. There is literally nothing here to me that is engaging at all. I don't... I I understand you were trying to set them up to the point that they get stuck on Lamentis. But for a character that has been engaged in so many action-packed storylines, and for the first two episodes that were confusing yet engaging and interesting, this is just completely flat. I think that also comes from where they cut it off, because what I really don't like is how in the next episode we are still in this same Nexus event. I feel like it should have been one event her episode yes especially when like like what they did with wandavision like we're in a decade every single time until everything starts starts to unravel once agatha is revealed um so i think that they would have benefit from doing something like that here where like what is the point of releasing episodic television if you're not going to do that because otherwise it does feel like one long movie and I think that that is sort of a downfall of this whole series because of the way that they bridged these episodes. Um, to your point, I think it would have been stronger uh, and I'm sort of moving into the next episode here, episode yes. four, the Nexus event. If they had put Sylvie's flashback so that we get to know her a little bit more uh, in into the third episode. And we're a little bit more sympathetic because we see what happened as a child. And then to me, it's funny that you say that this is the worst episode because the train is actually one of my favorite scenes. Not when they're talking, but once Loki gets drunk 
it's hysterical. So I think if you had front loaded all of that into episode three, it would have changed the tone and the pacing a lot. But I think they sort of backed themselves into a corner because they didn't want to make the episode too long. So moving into the fourth episode and the longest doomsday ever, the timekeepers are furious that Loki and Sylvie have gotten away and they blame Ravona for it. Uh, she is who is currently running the TVA. She's sort of the mouthpiece for the timekeepers and she's Mobius's boss, acknowledging that she was... Well, acknowledging that she remembers Asgard and was never meant to exist, Sylvie tells us that this is why she lives among apocalypses. As they wait for their fate on Lamentis, the timeline breaches and the TVA pulls them out of the Nexus event and bring them back to the TVA. Mobius and Loki bicker upon his return as Loki tries to tell the truth of the TVA, tries to tell Mobius, uh, Mobius that they're all variants. Loki gets locked in a time cell with Sif, where he admits to craving attention and fears being alone. Loki finally tells Mobius that everyone at the TVA is a variant and that the TVA kidnapped them, but Mobius does not want to believe him. But Mobius starts getting suspicious when C-20, a TVA officer, lost her mind after being possessed by Sylvie and is killed or erased, however it is that you want to define it. Hunter Pruned. Pruned. Hunter B-15 takes Sylvie back to the hurricane and asks um, what vision... Sylvie put in her head because she recognizes that it is a past memory. And that's what Sylvie explains to her and says it's from a time that existed before she was kidnapped by the TVA. Mobius sees C20's file that Loki, or sees in the file that Loki is right and Ravona is covering it all up. He and Loki decide to work together to uncover this scam. And when Mobius calls Ravona out, she has him pruned and takes Loki into captivity again, along with Sylvie, who brings them to the timekeepers. The timekeepers demand that they be deleted by Hunter H-15, um, but she arrives and sets them free to fight. Sylvie kills a timekeeper to see that they are androids, not beings, continuing to keep the TVA a mystery. Ravona then prunes Loki, and Sylvie demands answers. Okay, um, this is a very confusing episode. Um, yes. it, it's very confusing. Um, let's rewind a little bit here. Um, you mentioned it before. This carries over totally from, from episode three to the point where it almost doesn't feel like the episodes changed. Right. Um, and I think that that's part of what makes the pacing seem very slow because this seems like a two hour episode of the show. Um, but... I think the time punishment with Sif, I think it's huge. Yes. Um, Especially because she disappeared in Ragnarok. She disappeared in Ragnarok. And of course, we're not seeing the real her. We're seeing a vision here. We're really seeing a mind trick. But it's huge because this is a tremendous moment for Loki 
when he admits that he's always alone and that he craves attention because we got that revelation from him at the end of the first episode, and I know that was his motivation for wanting to help the TVA, but it kind of went away. I feel like they didn't really... I mean, not that you necessarily had to go back and remind us at nauseum, but I feel like he said it, and it was done, and it was over with, and then we kind of forgot about it for a few episodes, and I like that they bring it back here. I like that they bring it back, but I don't think we ever should have lost that thread. Um, I agree with you, though. I I love that they got Jamie Alexander back to do this. I love that we see Sith. I wish that we had more of this where Loki's sort of like hiding in plain sight on Asgard. I mean, even though that's not the idea here, the idea is the punishment. But being that we get that flashback with Sylvie in the beginning, I wish that they had spent especially spending two episodes in this Nexus event dragging on forever. I wish we had gotten to revisit Asgard. And I understand, you know, because it's a Disney Plus series, you're not going to pay to get Hemsworth to do it. Um, But because there are so many other characters that I've been saying for three weeks on end that were never really developed, would it have killed you to get Zachary Levy to to do fangirl and reprise that role? Or um, Volstead, you would think in three weeks that I would would be able to pronounce these names. But I feel like because they were always fighting alongside Loki, it would have been so interesting to see them now and see their reactions because they know what he did on earth yeah i think um i think the wrench here the total wrench in the plan and that the tva is using androids i love this twist because just when you think you have these guys figured out just when you think that these timekeepers are something similar to what we in not in the MCU but similar to what we saw in like the Green Lantern where they're really controlling everything. I love that this just keeps you guessing. It makes up for missing out on characters that you're alluding to, missing out in on opportunities that you're alluding to because it takes something that was interesting and kind of got a little bit boring and it puts you back on the edge of your seat. Right, and I feel like if they had reintroduced these characters and, you know, let's say Loki is trying to escape them on Asgard now because they know what he did, they're trying to capture him, they don't know that he's the variant, then he's got more of a reason to have this reckoning because he realizes he can't stay on Asgard. He has to go back to the TVA and it gives him more of a reason to want to fight the TVA on his own rather than just being tied in with Sylvie and her goal. Because this entire time, all he's wanted is an audience with the timekeepers. It's what he's been saying, what he's been saying. Right. So I feel like this reveal should have landed a lot harder. It certainly did for me finding out that they were androids. I was definitely not expecting that, but I felt like we should have gotten more outrage from every single one of these characters. Like when, you know, you're pulling back the curtain on the Wizard of Oz and you see there's a man back there. So yeah, no one seems to care. Right? Like the the thing's head just rolled to the ground and you see sparks shooting out of a robot. Like obviously you want to know who's behind it, but the fact that they don't react, that they don't go searching for a body that is controlling them 
you don't know that that body is not in the TVA. Like, how did you not tear the TVA apart at this point? Yeah. Um, and there's nothing yeah. that covers... I, I don't have much to add to that. There is nothing that covers that base of knowing that it's another being elsewhere. Like, somebody needed a throwaway line of, this guy could exist anywhere in space and time. And it also would have planted more seeds to get you to that multiverse. I think the problem is that everybody, because they had started teasing Spider-Man so much at this point, I think everybody knew we were going to the multiverse. And from Wanda too, you could have connected a lot more dots here. Yeah, I guess. Um, my biggest problem, the, the reveal was shocking. The reveal was great. Um, my biggest issue with this, though, is that I'm getting a little tired of taking steps backwards with Mobius. Now, Mobius doesn't trust him again. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, this this is getting a little played out with the I trust you, but I don't. But I trust you, but I don't. It. I kind of feel like we're just spinning like a top and we're not getting anywhere with either of these characters. And I feel like a lot of that comes from him still being on good terms with Ravona. I feel like they should have planted the distrust between the two of them much earlier on. Yeah. Uh, Ravona played by Gugu Mabatha Ra. Um, I thought she was really good because here's the thing. Like we saw her in, I think the first or second episode, but she seemed like she was going to be a secondary character. It's not until you get this midway point of the show where her character starts to take off but she's very back and forth and you don't know whether you could trust her or not. And I'll save that for when we get to those episodes, but I'll just say that I thought she played it really well. I agree because I think you could tell that you couldn't trust her from the jump, but I like that she starts to step up here and instead of blaming everything on the timekeepers, she no longer can because they're revealed, but She's still not questioning them. And she's not exactly following orders either. She is acting of her own accord and she's right. acting out and she's trying to flex some muscle. So I like where they take this character. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's move on to episode number five. Journey into mystery. Loki awakens among other Loki variants who had been pruned previously. At the TVA, Sylvie continues to grill Ravona, who tells her that Loki is still alive and she too wants to uncover the truth of the TVA. She says that pruned variants are all sent to a void from the timeline. In the void, the four Loki variants tell us of uh, Alioth, the monster who feeds on matter in the void. At the TVA, Sylvie concludes that the void must be past the end of time so as to not branch the timeline. Ravona turns on Sylvie when her backup arrives. Sylvie prunes herself to escape the TVA. In the void, Loki pledges to kill Alioth and meets more variants. Mobius reunites with Sylvie while the Loki variants fight. Loki convinces them to help him as they are never able to successfully help or fix themselves. Mobius, Sylvie, 
uh, Sylvie, I should say, and Mobius, Sylvie, Mobius, Sylvie, and Loki <laughs> reunite, and Sylvie tells us that she will enchant the guard dog at the end of time to help them escape. Mobius heads back to the TVA, while Sylvie and Loki stay to try and enchant Alioth. Future Loki projects a vision of Asgard to distract Alioth while Loki and Sylvie enchant it, but not before it kills future Loki. I don't know how they shot some of these episodes with the way this is written on paper. Yeah, I can. I would love to get my hands on the script and, and see exactly what the blueprints were here. Um, all right, let's let's talk here. Um, I sort of alluded to it before. With Ravona, we trust her, we don't trust her, we trust her, we don't trust her. I wasn't sure upon first watch if I liked how often they went back and forth with her. I've concluded that I don't like how often they go back and forth with her because I don't see her as a deceptive character and I don't see her as a Loki-ish character that's sort of making it up on the fly to get what she needs in that moment that she needs something, I kind of just feel like... I I feel like they just kind of wrote themselves into a corner that they just couldn't get themselves out of with her. Because she's doing it too often. I agree, because even though, like I said, she's starting to act out a little bit more... She has no reason to remain loyal to the TVA, and yet here she is sort of going into self-preservation mode instead of recognizing that she can act of her own free will, but she's not going to choose that. Yeah. Um. I mean, I'll just jump right to the point here. This entire episode, for me, is about the Loki variants. It's about seeing and interacting with these other Loki variants. Um, I think Gator Loki is hysterical. I do too. I think when he bites President Loki's hand off, it's hysterical. Yes. And I find it kind of funny that child Loki successfully killed Thor. See, that's what I'm talking about. Child Loki resembles our Loki. Yes. And I hate that it took five episodes to get here. Um, I think part of this is that this episode is such a love letter to the comics. Um, and I think that's why they do spend so much time interacting with the other variants. Um, but I do love this as a character, a character moment for our Loki. Um, that's just what I'm going to call him to keep this easy because when they're sort of walking him through the lay of the land, uh, you know, he's trying to come up with a plan uh, and figure out where he is and, and you know, how to escape Elioth. Um, so he has that outburst at the rest of them. To me, that is the most familiar we've seen this character in this entire series. Yeah. Do you have anything else on this episode? Because I really don't have anything. Just that... I love the Loki layer. I love um, that we see Throg trying to reach for Mjolnir. Um, I love little plants. I, I've said it a couple of times. Like, I wish we had more Easter eggs, more ties to what we are familiar with and more cultural touchstones. Although we do get one with the USS Eldridge. I thought that that was really funny. 
um, that they planted that in there. Uh, while not a natural disaster, the whole thing is that the ship had just disappeared. So right. now we get to see sort of the answer to that. Um, I think what does make this episode worth it, though, is Loki mending the fence with Mobius and establishing that, like, okay, we can trust each other. Uh, there is a true friendship here. And I think that that also, if we take a look at where Loki the series is in context of the Thor franchise, this is a big moment, a big character moment where he proves that he does have the capacity to think of someone other than himself. And it should have ended there with Mobius and not with Sylvie. All right, let's get to the final episode of season one of Loki. For all time, always. Loki and Sylvie arrive at the end of time and enter the Citadel where Miss Minutes tells them that he who remains wishes to make a deal with them where they are released to live their lives as they want while the TVA continues to control all of time, but they reject the offer claiming to control their own destinies. They meet he who remains and go to his office to speak with him while back at the TVA, Mobius and H-15 expose their truths as variants. Sylvie tries to kill he who remains who claims that he can't be killed because he will always see what happens next and that every step they took to get to him, he designed. He tells them that he and several of his variants found each other and created the TVA and set off a multiversal war as several of them tried to conquer their own universes. He who remains used the Aliath to end the war and create harmony, at least that was his plan. He tells them that they can run the TVA if they want, as he is now old and tired, or they can kill him and set off another multiversal war. They then cross the threshold, and he who remains has no idea how this ends because he can't see what's going to happen next, leaving the Lokis to decide his fate. As the timeline branches, Loki and Sylvie argue about whether or not he is telling the truth, which leads to a fight which ends with a kiss before Sylvie sends Loki back to the TVA using a tempad before killing he who remains and setting the multiverse into chaos. Um, I love that this episode starts with throwback audio. Took the words right out of my mouth. Um, all of those classic lines, even though some of them haven't happened yet in the timeline, I love that we get the familiarity. Uh, I had a few chuckles just from some of the ones that they picked. Uh, Absolutely love it. And I love that they uh, redesigned the logo, not just in this episode. It's been throughout the entire series where it's got the green and gold. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, before we get into the breakdown, though, uh, I wish that they had titled this one, not not just the title, but I wish that the slogan for the TVA was for all time, always, instead of always, meaning all different ways. Yeah. Because that would have lent itself to the multiverse even more. It would have. Um, I like the setup that they go to the end of time. I like the idea that they're going to the end of time. But you've seen such cool sets this entire time. 
and this seems like it's going to be one of them so that you can end up in an office sitting at a desk. You just hit the nail right on the head. The key word being sitting. This is just bad writing, bad direction all the way around. Um, it's I, I've said it several times at this point. There is too much dialogue heavy exposition. And I feel like all of that plays into we are leading up to the multiverse and we need uh, so much explanation for it. And yes, in part you do because it needs to make sense. But television, visual medium, you have three characters sitting there staring at each other, having a conversation. One of them is sitting down. Like, are you kidding me? How did you let him sit through this entire scene when they're talking? At least get him up out of that chair and move around. This has nothing to do with how eccentric he is. You could have displayed that a little bit more if he was just walking around his office. Just just give me something. But this whole scene is flat, flat, flat. You saw better boardroom scenes in The Apprentice. <laughs> I mean, think about it. You did. You saw more tense, edge-of-your-seat boardroom scenes in that reality television show than you saw in this. Which is why the fight between Loki and Sylvie is so unmotivated. I feel like they just threw that in there to give us some action. Because at this point, they've established that they can trust each other, that they need each other. And, okay, they have opposing viewpoints now, but now, now you're going to fight? It just... It, it didn't make any sense at all. No. And I thought that it was a great moment for Loki that he's willing to give it all up. That in this moment where he can control the TVA, he can control all of time. This is basically what he's wanted for his entire run in the MCU is absolute power, complete control. He finally gets it and he doesn't want it. It's a tremendous moment for the character. This is your freaking glorious purpose and you throw it all away. Um, before we get into the kiss debacle, though, I yes. want to touch on He Who Remains. Yes. Because they've built him up so much. And being that he's got robots acting for him in the TVA, I feel like this is a character that should have been more foreboding than Thanos. Because um, technically speaking, he, Thanos had no control over himself. This guy controlled Thanos. Exactly. So I think aesthetically, you should just get someone a little bigger or even you know I'm not even talking about the actor. My issue is not with the actor, but like I feel like they should have given him like a throne and you know a, a cost a more elaborate costume to build him up a little bit more and maybe again if this was a purposeful choice to stick to the to the source material okay fine but there is a point where you have to say okay put the source material aside because of what we've done in the cinematic universe, there has to be some sort of payoff. And there's just not, especially for me. I'm about to get very niche here. He who remains looks so much like Ben Vereen in the show that I used to watch on PBS called Zoobly Zoo. 
millennials, <laughs> you might know what I'm talking about. Like I said, it's it's very niche, and you've got this Broadway star playing a leopard because they were all animals yeah. and that is what this costume and, and the actor kind of looks like him that is where my head goes every time and it is destroying it for me but even that aside <laughs> taking my own issues out of this and what i'm being reminded of i just feel like they should have built up this character more here's my thing i think that jonathan majors did a fine job with the character because he's a lot of fun i love how he teeters on being completely unhinged and completely in control. But I think for all of the reasons that you just mentioned, he just doesn't seem like a big bad. Right. I think you just needed to give him a little bit more action to show the teetering back and forth. Although one of the things that I was considering in this rewatch, I'm wondering if it was so dialogue heavy because he was trying to appeal to Loki's intellect because that's, been the thing with Loki the entire time is he's got to be the smartest person in the room but you still could have done it without so much talking yeah um all right let's talk about this kiss let's just get it over with I feel like aside from just the sheer awkwardness of it uh I feel like it sort of goes against the character because Loki is always going to choose himself and nothing is always go nothing is ever going to stand in his way. But at the same time because this is a variant, do you make the argument that like of course he's attracted to her. It's him. He he loves himself. But I don't think that that was what we were supposed to get from it. No, the the whole thing is just awkward. Um, and it goes back to what I had said, you know, a couple of episodes ago, meaning episodes in this review. I don't buy them together. I don't like them together. I don't find them endearing together. I don't, I mean, I understand that Loki, you know, he had that come to Jesus moment where he admits that he's alone, when he admits that he wants to be the center of attention where he admits he doesn't take pleasure in any of this. So if you want to soften him with a love interest, you don't really need to do it, but if that's the direction you want to go in, that's fine. But having him fall in love with himself to the point you just made seems like it's two steps forward and three steps back. No, and since they bothered to do it, I would buy into this more if, again... Sylvie was more like his character if he saw more of himself in the variant then I would be like well of course he loves himself sure but I just don't think it fit this narrative and I don't think that it fit the character because why is he even looking for love he hasn't lost anything yet yeah um all right what what do you say season one of Loki what do you think um, final thoughts. I hate to say it, but I didn't like it much more the second time around. I understood it a lot more uh, because I was able to, you know, you're not just getting so much information all at once. Having the retread, hearing the explanations of how all of the time travel and the TVA works and why the Avengers got away with it and why Loki didn't, you know, even having it all make so much more sense. 
I just didn't really appreciate it more. Some parts I did, um, like the apocalypse and and hiding out there instead of having things that we're more familiar with. I got really hung up on that the first time. Um, but now I do like that they traveled through space and time a little bit more. Um, but it it's still in a lot of places because of the heavy dialogue just felt like we were stuck in the same place and it didn't move story forward very fast. Um, and I really don't think that this did anything to move the needle on the character. I think it fleshed the character out a little bit more. Um, I think that where they left him off at the end of this series parallels where he is in the MCU timeline when he is killed by Thanos. Um, I like the fact that it leaves the door open for him to come back the same way we did with Gamora because now we can just bring the variant back. Um, But I I like what it does for the multiverse. I like that we saw more of Loki, but I can't say that I liked it a lot more than I did the first time. To your point, I understood it more. Did I like it more? A little bit. But but to me, like, when I look at this as, like, WandaVision and Captain America... You know, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, um, uh, Hawkeye. You know, when I when I start like thinking about these Marvel shows that we've watched, Moon Knight, I still because we haven't gotten to Miss Marvel yet. Full disclosure, to me, it's it's slightly better than Falcon and the Winter Soldier. But I think that's just because I really like the character Loki. If I felt the same way about Loki as I did about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I probably like Falcon and the Winter Soldier more than I like this because I at least buy the villains in that show. Right. I mean, this... If you take my bias away for loving the character Loki, of those five shows, to me, it's probably still the worst one. But... Since I love the character so much, I'm not going to pretend like I don't. It does. It's it's a step in front of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but it didn't take the leap that I thought it would. No, and I feel like that's where this gets so disappointing, because I remember when they announced the series, we were so excited that we were getting more Loki in any capacity because Thanos had killed him off. They they took out a character that we loved. So we were like, all right, right on. We're, we're all about it. We'll get to see more Loki. But I feel like the intent was to pander to the fans. And that's why they did keep it so close to the comic books. And I feel like that's where this sort of fails the MCU because you stuck too closely to the source material and not what you have established in the films. And that's where... This is one of those rare instances where Marvel didn't do a great job of seamlessly blending source material and the narrative that we're following. Well, we want to know what you have to say about season one of Loki. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. We do have a very fun giveaway, though, to announce 
Um, yes, even though we don't love this <laughs> series, we know that people do. So we got you a little something. We got you a couple of somethings. We have a couple of Funko Pops for you. We have a Loki TVA Funko Pop, and we have a President Loki Funko Pop, which we are going to give away to one of you. It's a very easy way to enter to win these prizes. All you have to do is follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and or Facebook at Monoreal Radio. We are going to post a photograph of the prizes that are up for grabs. Make sure that you like the post and tag a friend. So you're following, you like the post, you tag a friend. And you can do that until Monday, July 18th at 11.59 p.m. From there, all the entries will be thrown into a pot. We're drawing one at random, and we will announce the winner of the contest later that week when we drop that week's episode of Monoreal Radio. So make sure you are following that social media because you won't want to miss out on that Loki prize pack. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. I just gave you that social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Monoreal Radio. Make sure you like, subscribe, and rate us on Verbal or your podcast platform of choice. And for links to everything related to the show, it's online at monorealradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.